All right, welcome everyone. <clears throat> Over this uh, first month, we're kind of resetting our focus for the year, uh, what, we, what we want to focus on as a community. And uh, we're looking at Matthew 22, the greatest commandment. Let me go ahead and read um, this passage to you. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the commandments and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The first week, we talked about what it looked like to love God first, not only in terms of priority, but in terms of the first step in which we take into worship, in which we show up at church and open scripture and serve, that the first step is a step towards love. But today, we're going to talk about these four facets in which God calls us to love him by, our heart, our soul, our mind, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which Jesus is quoting, our strength as well. And Luke's account of this very passage includes that. And I think about this commandment, again, the commandment to love God. And it maybe is surprising because it's, he's not asking us to serve him. He's not asking us to get entrenched in religious rituals, first and foremost. He's asking for a personal intimate relationship with us. And when I think about when uh, God's love for us, it's this enormous love that never changes. And one that we're continuing to discover and will discover for the rest of eternity. But when I look at my love for him, it often changes and wanes and weakens and grows. And, and when I think about the way I love him and, and the differing degrees I've loved him throughout the years, I notice that the more I love him, even though his love for me isn't change, isn't, has never changed, my perception of his love does change. That the more I love him, the more I think about him and allow myself to serve him, I notice more of his love. His love continues to grow and become bigger and, and almost consuming. But then the times where I drift away and love other things and get consumed or obsessed by other things, I find that his love starts to shrink. And it doesn't actually shrink, but it feels like it does because I'm distancing myself. Maybe an example I can think of is... Um, and it's not, a, it's not a pretty example. I, I think about if one day I were to cheat on my wife, you know, and I think it's important to go into hypothetical scenarios sometimes in a realistic way because it's sobering. It's sobering for me to think about really chasing after another girl and how her priority would grow for me. You know, maybe I'll connect more to her. Maybe I'll try to spend more time with her. Maybe I'll text her more to my wife. And then even if my wife loved me the same, maybe she didn't know about it, I think about how my heart would start to sway and how maybe I would complain about her more and see more of her flaws. 
And then I would dampen her love because my love is divided. And so when I look at my, my life with Nina, my commitment to her, I think about it as any other relationship, right? There's that initial beautiful moment. A lot of us were at Charles and Donna's wedding, and I'm so, I'm so it was such a special time as they um, committed to a life together, to giving, their, them giving of themselves to each other. And I got to be a part of, um, you know, that commitment of, of stating it, of hearing it, of, of officiating their wedding. And then I think there's all these other points in marriage where we decide whether they're still the first, where they'll still have our love, our commitment, our strength, our mind, our energy. And I feel like that's the same way in our Christian journey. Jesus asks us to deepen our relationship with him by continuing every day of our life to give our best to him, to not be distracted by other things, but to give him all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our soul, and all of our strength. So as we look at these four facets, right, of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, I think about what it means and how God has kind of prescribed ways in which we get to engage him in those ways. So first, God calls us to worship, to love him with our heart. And our heart is the seat of our emotions. It's, it's where all of our emotions are derived from. Our joy, our sadness, our grief, our good and bad decisions all come out of our heart. And God desires us to love him emotively. If you come from a fundamental ch- fundamentalist church, um, it almost feels laughable or secondary that we should love God kind of with this high intellect, but, but loving him emotively is secondary or not really important. But what if I took that into my marriage relationship, right? Like I'm heavily committed to my wife, but I only feel things for her like every two and a half years, you know? We've been married five years. I've felt things for her twice. Wouldn't that be a really shallow and sad relationship? God wants to engage our our emotions. God wants us to love him with our hearts. And I wonder if that's been a priority to love him emotively. I wonder when was the last time we felt love for God. We felt his intimacy and his hand in our life. We felt his peace. We like smiled and and got chills thinking of him. One of the greatest ways God allows us to feel, I believe, is through worship. And, and music in general is something that humans didn't create but has this eternal and um, God-written-ness to it. I think music is this fast track into our emotive facets. And when we think about worship, it's such a big thing. Revelations chapter 5 paints the throne room of God, and when we think about Revelation, it it kind of pans back and forth between the chaos of earth and the serene, sovereign, stable, 
glorification of Jesus in heaven. And in, specifically in Revelations 5, we have these concentric circles of worship. Jesus is sitting as the center point and focal point of worship. Around him are these 24, sorry, around him are these four creatures worshiping Jesus. And the way John describes these creatures, they're non-human and they're non-angelic, right? It's these other, this other being that God has created, and they're in this closest circle to him, worshiping him. Then around them are these 24 elders worshiping the Lord. Around these 24 elders are hundreds and thousands of angels worshiping the Lord, kind of like three football stadiums wrapped around each other of angels illuminating light in perfect chorus and unison and um, harmony, singing about God. And then around them are earthlings, right? A billion plus people. Every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping Jesus. What, how many square miles does that take up? How loud is the worship? And then there's this kind of echo chamber of worship where the angels sing, holy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then after that, the earthlings sing as an echo, as a response to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praised and and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Then the four creatures say amen, and then the 24 elders bow in worship of the throne, and then the angels sing again. It's this choir. It's this echo. It's this song in response before the Lord. So when we do this worship thing on Sunday, it expands into the heavenlies. It's this thing we're just reflecting what's going on in heaven for all of eternity. And in this little choir of Renewed Church in Fullerton, as I join our worship team in singing, I join our voices, but then I also think about the voices around Fullerton, the 90 other churches singing to the Lord. I think about how half of America stopped today and went to church to sing to the Lord, and we join them in song. I think about the, uh, the church in China that has been facing heavy persecution over the last year or so in a renewed way. Not a play on our church, but in a bad renewed way. My friend, his church of 400 got shut down, and now they're in these small homes in secret places, and yet they still join us in song I've been to Ghana where churches have no roofs, and it's like 100 degrees, everyone's sweating, but they put on these really beautiful garbs, three or four layers, and they're dancing in circles as they worship the Lord, and in a beautiful way, we're joining them as well. When God calls us to love him with our hearts, I believe one of the practices is to call us into worship. And I hope that as we worship as a community, my, my heart for our church has always been, you know, when I envisioned Renew before Renew started, that we would worship with, with such exuberant emotion, you know, with, with dancing, 
without tambourines, but like just like shouting and worshiping God and being just fully um, expressive before him, that we would lay out our hearts to God and, and that we would do it because God's always been wor- worshiped by all of creation for all of eternity, and we're just joining that. I would love for us to learn to worship through the book of Psalms because Psalms allows worship to be taken from every stream of emotion. The psalmist teach us how to, how to worship in our grief when we feel like darkness is our closest friend, how to worship in deep fear when we believe that we're about to die, how to worship in song, in dance, in exuberance, in joy. The psalmist goes through every emotion and teaches us how to engage with God from a really honest and vulnerable and true space. We don't have to put on a happy face in order to worship God. We could worship him in tears. We can worship him depressed. In our anxiety, we can worship him no matter how we feel and engage him with all of those emotions. So God calls us to worship him with all of our hearts. And I hope that we would take worship on Sundays in small groups and bring it into the rest of our weeks. That we would have our favorite Spotify playlists of our favorite bands. We would learn how to pick up the guitar. We would sing a cappella in our bathrooms and know that God loves our voice and our singing and our dancing no matter what space it's coming out of. He wants our hearts. The second aspect that God's calling us to is to worship and love him with our mind, our thoughts and our decisions. God desires us to worship him with our intellect and in the truth. And so when I think about Renew, again, there's this desire for us to be a community of believers that is heavily emotive in our worship and experience of God, but also to be intellectual in our approach to God's word. And so we do a lot of different things at Renew in order for us to understand the Bible deeply. We go to small groups, and in our small groups, we do inductive study, right? We open up God's word, we look at the passage beforehand, and we just kind of roll up our sleeves. We get no guidance or tutorial, but we just look at the word and we're asking questions about it. We're making observations. We're understanding how to interpret the text in the author's intentions and how to apply it into our lives. And the reason why we've, we've um, wanted to do inductive as a church is because it's teaching us, it's giving us tools to approach God's word Monday through Friday. I hope that as you get comfortable doing inductive Bible study in your small groups, that you would get comfortable opening up the word of God all the other days of the week, and you would have the tools to do it. You know, 80% of our time on the pulpit, we read and preach through different books of the Bible. And we, we preach like that because we hope that it would translate into how learning how to read Scripture. That's been, it's been written to be read and studied as whole books, right? Uh, Matthew had placed together beautiful themes 
and narratives interlaced with each other throughout the book of Matthew. He's writing to Jews, and yet he's speaking and translating this Jewish um, Old Testament references into this new covenant with Gentiles as well. And we don't understand scripture well if we don't know how to read the Bible front to back. And then Alpha 2.0 or 1.5, I guess it's 1.5, is supposed to take, a, take the big arc of scripture, right? What is this big story about from Genesis to Revelations and unpack it in 12 weeks so that you can take a step back and say, I understand the whole arc of the story of the Bible. You know, Breaking Bad is one of my favorite shows. This is a t-shirt from it. And it's, it has the most beautiful story arc. They weren't trying to write seasons according to viewership and then quickly wrap it up when, you know, it started tanking like Lost, right? <laughs> it had this really perfect arc that they committed to no matter how many people watched it or didn't watch it. And the Bible does the same thing. And so if on Mondays, if you feel like, man, I don't really know what this whole Bible thing is about, what a great space to learn how to do that. When we think about Scripture, Ma Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It's the foundation for which we get to trust and build our lives out of, and it will never fail us. There's nothing else that will do that for you. There's a lot of philosophies and opinions. Everything I hear on the radio, every episode I watch in the media is trying to sell me a truth, trying to say this is what's really valuable, this is what your life should be headed towards. And I've seen people run after these truths and then 10 years later hit a dead end. 20 years later find that it's purposeless. 30 years later, wish they went in exactly the opposite direction. But if you hold on to scripture and let it guide your life, you'll find purpose and meaning every step of the way. I hope you can trust me on that. And lastly, Psalms 119 says, How I love your law, I meditate on it day and night. And I just wonder if we love God's word, if that's the way we would describe his scripture, that we love it and that it's on our mind and we think about it and it's saturating our lives. Lastly, um, God talks about loving him with our strength. And in, in when we think about this Greek word for strength, it's speaking about our energy and our resources, how we spend our lives. God desires us to love him through giving and service. And that's another way in which um, we as a community desire to come together, that we desire to come together in service of God. And I, I personally today want to thank our sound and tech team. You know, Brendan, Jesse, uh, Michael have served for so long, for many years, and uh, everything went to crap today. We stepped on a cable, it blacked out our sound system, and everyone's running around trying to make it work, <laughs> literally running. And I, for me, I'm like, you know, man, we might just do acoustic worship. But as I see them run, there's this deep sense of joy in my heart that people are freaking out because they love this church so much.
You know, I remember sitting on a corner talking to someone after church, and, um, and Kristen was walking through these, uh, past these doors with this big bowl um, of, of water and just taking it to the kitchen. I was like, she loves this church. And I think about Tony and Tani every morning making us coffee. One of the first ones in here. They've never complained. They've always done it with such joy. Every time I thank them, they thank me back. It's incredible. And this church has been a church of servants. You know, I look around this room, and so many of you have sacrificed to build this community. And we love this church because we sacrifice for it. We love what we sacrifice for. You'll love your kids because you'll sacrifice for them. If you don't love Renew, if you don't love Jesus, I would say sacrifice for it and see your love grow. If you don't have your heart in something, give money to it and see your heart grow for it, right? If you want to care about the Yazidis, give to that mission trip and you'll care about it because Jesus says where your money is, there your heart is too. I pray that when people ask about Renew, like what we do, and they don't get the Bible and worship thing, and that's okay. I tell them, we're setting up a trip to serve refugees in Iraq. I tell them, on Mondays, there's a group of us who serve women who, have, who are survivors of domestic violence, and we watch their kids. I tell them, there's a special needs community that we get to do events for every month. Go watch Christmas lights with, uh, do, a, do a Halloween party with do a dance party with. That's what this church is about. That's, that's why we exist. That's what it means to love God with our strength. And so I wonder, when was the last time we felt something for Jesus? And if, is that a priority? How have we dedicated our minds to think and love Scripture and hear from Him? And, and how have we given our strength to serve him. But I think the hardest part of this isn't necessarily loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but to do it, to give all of our heart, soul, and mind strength to him. Because sometimes when we think about loving God, it comes in, in an order of priorities. And I've heard this often, right? Love God first, then love your family and your church. I, I mean, people put that in different places, but I'm a pastor, so I'm going to put that third for you. And then job, and then friends, and the hobbies, right? We kind of have these different categories, and we say, put Jesus, put God first. But when we look at the practicality of that, it's really difficult, right? If you just look at time and energy allocation, sleep takes up about eight hours a day. Maybe for me, I take a nap with Liam and it's nine hours, right? So a third of my day is gone. And then our job is nine to five. So that's 35%, especially if you include commute time. Then you got family right after your work. You sit down, you try to have dinner, put your kids down then Netflix and social media for 10%, Candy Crush, you know, those minutes add up. And then eating in bathroom, you know, got to do that. And, um, and then Jesus in ministry, if you're a devout believer and you're waking up and like reading the Bible for 30 minutes and praying and then going to church and small groups and serving, maybe that's like eight hours a week. How, 
and, and maybe that's the best we can do unless we all give up our lives for the commune and live monastically, right? So then what does it mean to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, our souls, our mind, and all our strength? Well, the idea of soul here is this um, purpose and alignment to our lives. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, maybe another way of saying it is, saying it is where is your life focus? And where is the trajectory of your life? Where is, where, what is the focal point of all that you do and why you do it? You know, I'm fascinated by addiction because I have an extremely addictive personality. I've been addicted to many things. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But I'm a, I'm a chronic addict, right? And so, like, for example, I was addicted to a chess. And so I brought, like, a few chess books. I played chess all the time with different friends. I would close my eyes. I would see a chessboard, and then I would move a piece. And then when I'm... Like, usually, no, I won't say that. So anyways, and then I'll close my eyes again and play chess on the opposite side with myself. I love chess. But then I got into volleyball and rock climbing and boxing and uh, other bad things like gambling. And, and so I've always been an addict. Maybe what's fascinating, most fascinating to me is like um, drug addiction. So I watched Drugs, Inc. on Netflix. Have you ever seen it? And it's an amazing documentary. They interview um, the cartels, kind of the suppliers, down to the farmers of cocaine and up to the, the gangsters or the mafia who distribute it. And then uh, on the big kind of wholesale level to the street vendors. And then they interview um, the actual addicts. And some of them are totally torn up. You know, the, they, they've sold their lives to drugs. And you forget how articulate they are. You look at them and you forget that they can talk. So this person whose skin and bones has sores everywhere talks about how he lost his job because he hurt his back. He went into surgery, but the pain never went away. And so at first he started taking pain meds, but the prescription ran out, and then he just took street drugs. And... He got so addicted that his family left him, he lost his benefits, and he was in the slums of Baltimore just trying to get the next fix. When I think about addiction, it's kind of all-consuming. You do everything else in order to feed your addiction when it, when it gets to that degree, Right? It just takes over the rest of your life. Now, it's not a one-to-one, but I think about what it looks like for Jesus to be why we do everything we do, the underlining reason. What it looks like for us when we're eating, when we're watching Netflix, when we're in our jobs, to do it for him and thinking of him. And it's a very difficult task, but maybe here are some of the ways that I want to challenge you to love God with all of your energy, time, resources, mind this week. That you would start to integrate Him with other areas of your life. 
First, by just simply inviting Jesus into other spaces of our lives. If, when, I, mm, when I think about Christian maturity, this is a big step for Christians. A, a, a lot of Christians get kind of stuck into isolating their faith in really specific, categoric uh, aspects of their life. Sunday morning, devotional time, small group. I think a great, um, a really massive step in every Christian's journey is to start to see God and invite him everywhere and see him impact and empower us in every aspect of our lives, to rely on him for our work and our play, to surrender to him with our family and our friends, and to invite him in. So as in, the, in kind of this last segment, I just think about you. Um, this is my prayer for you this week, that you would walk into different, walk through different thresholds of your life, different rooms of your life, if you will. The threshold of your work into your office, the threshold of your play as you're on Netflix, the threshold of your friends as you walk into their, into their space, into their apartment, and to do it before you walk in, just holding Jesus' hand and saying, hey, come into this space with me. I want you there. Help me to find you here. Whether it's being thankful to him, depending on him, asking him to be a part of, of your time with them, doing it for him, with him, through him. I think that's why I bring up all my vo volleyball analogies because it's really kind of outside of church. It's outside of kind of spirituality. But for me, I want to see Jesus everywhere. And so this, uh, let's see, on Friday, I went to Corona Del Mar. I stepped onto the beach and I just said in usual fashion, I'm so grateful to be here while other people have to work a nine to five. You know, I just think about all my friends. I work nights and weekends and whatnot, so I don't even feel guilty about it. I'm just thankful. Okay, so I'm in the beach, and Corona Del Mar is beautiful. And I'm like, God, thank you so much for this time to be with you. And then I play uh, uh, my games with different friends. There's this girl. Uh, her name's Megan. She goes to Hope University, and she plays volleyball for their, for their college, beach and indoor. And everyone wants to be on her team, right? Especially me. And so finally, I get to partner up with her, and uh, she coaches some of the people on the beach, and we're about to destroy another team. And um, we walk into the court, and my friend's like, hey, I'm going to steal her from you and give you this weaker partner because you guys are too strong together. And I was, like, really sad about that. But as we're playing volleyball and I'm losing now because I couldn't be with my, the partner I wanted, I'm like, God, I just want to really enjoy my time with you. <laughs> it's not about winning. It's about like, enjoying my friendship and being with you and being thankful. And so uh, we lost, and I was sad. <laughs> I was still with the Lord. And then, uh, I, and, but then Megan and us are hanging out, and because she goes to Hope, I invite her to renew, of course. Just the automatic pastor thing. Hand out flyers, invite people to my church. And then um, she says I'm actually, um, uh, she doesn't say Mormon. She says uh, part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they want to change kind of the Mormon title. And then everyone starts, we start having this conversation about 
about that. And, um, and she's talking to everyone, kind of saying like, oh, you know, we're really all about Jesus. And that's why we're, we don't want to be called Mormon anymore. And the whole time I'm evaluating how much relationship rapport I have with her, what's best for the group, what the Lord's saying into my heart. And um, so I just kind of let it ride and um, really grateful to have spiritual conversation. By the way, four of them came up to hear me preach at Renew last week. And so they're all talking about my sermon. And someone who, doesn't, who didn't get to come up asked me how my sermon was and what I shared about. I told them I said on the podcast. And so one of the most amazing things, right, is to have a conversation about anything Jesus um, in another space. And then... Me, and then Megan's uh, going to the water. And so I'm like, hey, can I, I'll, I'll go uh, to the water with you. So we go down to the beach. And that's when I'm thinking, okay, how do I make some distinctions between the Christian faith and Mormonism? And so I'm like, you know, I, I know you talked a lot about why you feel like Mormonism and Christianity are the same, but I think it's actually really different. She's like, oh, how is it different? I was like, well, we have a really different concept of the Trinity, right? For you, Jesus is created, literal Son of God, God the Father, like birth Jesus, if you will, and non-Trinitarian perspective. I'm gonna give you the summary. And also we have a whole we have a totally different narrative. You have lots of gods for lots of planets and you ascend into Godship. And so all of those things are really different. And she said, Well, you know, for me being Christian means that Jesus is Lord and Savior and He died for our sins. I was like, yeah, that's a really true part of the Christian faith. But even when we say Jesus, we mean really different things, right? For you, he's a created being, this and that. For me, it's different. And so I spent time just kind of discerning. And as we had this conversation, I just wanted us to start thinking together and to see if I can, how deep of a conversation can I have with her while still maintaining a really healthy relationship and wanting that to continue. And so I'm praying for us as a community that we would watch Netflix, we would go play volleyball, um, but not with me because I'm too good. Uh, we, would, um, we would be like, you know, we would swift and, and wash dishes and um, invite Jesus into all of it. And to say, God, every time I use my mind, my strength, my emotions, Help me to love you, even when I'm doing all these other things. Father, we're so I'm so grateful for this church. I pray that it would be all about loving you. Even this moment of entering into worship together, God, would you awaken our emotions through music to worship and to love you and to remind us that all of our emotions are to be about you. I pray that this week as we open up your word in small group and on Sunday that we would think clearly about you and that throughout the weeks all of our thoughts would be for you. I pray that um, for so many of us who serve this church that we would serve you knowing that it's worship, knowing that we get this massive privilege to, to um, kind of be in your temple as priests to serve you and then allow our, our way of service um, to, to transcend into our job, into our housework, into being with our children. I think about how Paul wrote that 
When we work, we're not working for our earthly employers, but we're doing work unto the Lord. That when we eat or drink, we're supposed to do it for the glory of God. Lord, as we learn to love you, teach us to love you in every category of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I would love to invite you to take communion with me, um, to remember that Jesus, he broke his body to die on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood to cover us. And he's asking that we love him with all of ourselves. I love the way that Jesus moved through life with God at the center. And would he be our example of that? Would you rise for a time of communion?